This recording is a production of Faith Builders. This presentation was recorded at Teachers Week 2013, held at Faith Builders on August 6th through 9th. All right, before I get underway, I'll just point out two books here. There are many books on children's difficulties. This one, The Misunderstood Child, has gone through four editions. The most recent edition is 2006. And this covers quite a variety of, of uh, difficulties from uh, learning disabilities of various types, attention deficit disorder, uh, related disorders, tick disorders, uh, regulatory disorders, and psychosocial problems with adolescents, and so forth. And then this one I just noticed came out last week. Uh, Helping Children with Special Needs, a guidebook for teachers and parents of Anabaptist Christian Schools, and uh, released 2013. This covers quite a variety of things from disabilities and history to uh, tools for teaching children different types of disabilities, interventions for cultural misunderstandings when your students have trouble at home. So it covers quite a variety of, of things. I'll leave these up here till the end of the morning if you want to come up and look at them. So our session here is on can't he or won't he? And there are, those are two basic questions that face us. These are the children who need a teacher. Some children could almost get through school if they were just given the schedule and the books and the materials, and then have the teacher there as a bit of a catalyst to get the day started and say a few things, and they, they pretty much know what they need to do and, and could do it. But the child who can't or won't needs you as a teacher. I think of the Ethiopian uh, eunuch when Philip met him on the road and he was reading, and he said, do you understand what you're reading? And the answer was, how can I except some man help me. And you will have students in your room who will say, well, how can I, or why would I, or why will I, unless somebody helps me, or makes me do what I ought to to do. And whether a child can't or whether a child won't, in a sense, doesn't make a whole lot of difference. In either case, they're not producing, they're not learning. And if if they won't do it, why eventually they can't either. And so won'ts can develop into can'ts because if if time goes on long enough and the child doesn't because he won't, he will not develop his native abilities and he will also develop habits of spacing out or just being there or going his own way and then after a while he can't and they are related. What we're going to do here is look, this is not uh, focused in on one particular area. This is looking at a broad spectrum, but when you have children who are not producing for one reason or another, we do have to have quite a variety of questions to ask. And so we'll look at some of these. So we'll look first of all at some reasons children can't. And uh, you should be able to find words up here to fill in the blanks on your your paper. Move this a bit closer here. And so one of the reasons is emotional turmoil for whatever reason. 
a child, and we know how it is, if we have problems in our own hearts, uh, whether we are uh, worried or whether we are scared, afraid, uh, whatever, we aren't very functional. And it doesn't take very much. You can, you can be uh, very intelligent and know what you should do, but when there is some kind of an of a emotional problem that, uh, that we face, Many times we, we shut down all, all the attention or the feeling. Maybe we, maybe we don't actually think about particular things, but because we feel hurt, worried, uh, anxious, guilty, whatever. And these could be problems that, uh, at home, and they might be, un, they might be chronic problems, like uh, living, experiencing abuse or put down uh, from parents, or it could be poverty, whatever. And we can't fix the home. But one thing that does help is for the child to know that we care. We care. We can't just give the feeling that, well, just toughen up and, uh, and get on with the show. Or give the feeling that that doesn't matter. Neither can we enter into their home difficulties so closely that we become dysfunctional uh, as teachers. We can't fix those problems. But it makes a big difference if the child knows that you care. Now sometimes we don't know what the problem is. We might just sense, and there's where we trust the Holy Spirit to, to alert us to the fact that we, we don't want to be putting pressure on a child to, to do this and led on as though, well, if you just tried, you could, when if we had a clue of what the problem is at home, we might be appalled at how well, at how, what the child's facing, and we might be amazed at how well this child is functioning, given the pressure that he or she is under. And so children will, they don't expect you, they know you can't fix their problems, but if we, if we are aware and we, and we let them have the sense that, well, we know that life is tough, and we can pray with our children, pray for our children with discretion. Sometimes uh, it's something you can pray out loud with a group. Sometimes it's uh, uh, something you need to pray with individually. Sometimes uh, you pray alone for the child. The child doesn't know it. And then there are problems at school, various types. There might be uh, cliques. Uh, playground uh, trouble. And these are problems that we should, as teachers, have our eyes open and be alert to. We need to develop that sense of, be, of awareness. Perhaps uh, this child's being picked on in the playground. Perhaps you feel he or she feels unsafe in the classroom. These things we, sh we should notice, be alert to, and if possible, alleviate these problems. But some children uh, are more concerned about who might look at them today cross-eyed and who's going to say what to them on the playground. And because of those feelings, it, they basically shut down or, or become dysfunctional. And then there are all kinds of uh, personal problems that the child might have, internal problems, guilt, fears, depression. And again, we can't fix these. Uh, remember, Jesus himself, that's always a question to ask. If Jesus himself were here, what would he do? If he walked through a hospital, would everybody be healed when he goes out the other end? Probably not. When he was here in person, everybody wasn't, quote, fixed. And yet Jesus was Jesus. And so if we're part of his body, 
somehow in these areas, these internal things, we do, uh, the children need to know that we, that we care. They also need to know that we're not gonna pretend that there's any quick fix. We can uh, point out to them, uh, there are Bible people like David, who had all kinds of issues, problems, and yet he encouraged himself in the Lord. And there are also biographies of people like Abe Lincoln and others who had a difficult time at home growing up. And we don't have to allow difficult life situations to paralyze us. In fact, it's, those it's in those situations that the Lord can help us. Well, another kind of problem is various kinds of distractions. If you're distracted, you, it's the opposite of being integrated. You, you go to pieces. Uh, you might call it noise in the mind, internal noise. Things that get you off focus. And uh, when you take something out of focus, it just makes it difficult to follow. And some children are that way or, or worse. And you're talking about what's happening here and moving down. And, and they're in a fog, they're uh, distracted. And I see some distress on your face already. You don't like that, do you? Uh, you're struggling to, to follow that. And so uh, it helps if you can, if you can have them focus on what's to be done. And there are many kinds of distractions that cause the child to, to be divided. So one of these is, uh, is daydreaming. Daydreaming is fun. Who enjoys daydreaming? Anybody? Yeah, isn't that fun? And uh, daydreaming isn't necessarily bad, but you need to know that when you're daydreaming, don't expect to get something productive done while you're daydreaming. Uh, there's a time for all things, Ecclesiastes said. There's a time to daydream, and there's a time to day work. There's a time to night dream, and there's a time to, you know, we have cycles of dreaming when we sleep. About every 90 minutes we dream, and then we get some serious sleeping done. And so you can, uh, one of the things you can do here is name it. And you can talk about daydreaming and let them know. Give your, share your own testimony. Share them with them how you yourself need to discipline yourself to... Uh, it's, it's okay to uh, daydream. In fact, you could even, uh, uh, we sometimes do a stretch break. We sometimes walk around the school. Uh, you could try it sometime and say, well, we'll take a minute, let's, let's daydream for a minute here. And I'll sit down at my desk and you all daydream. Let's do it, isn't it fun? Uh, and uh, bringing that out, sometimes bringing it out, I actually never did that. Uh, but naming the, naming the issue and recognizing we all, we all do this, and this is, this is a problem if we cannot discipline ourselves. And so there is a discipline of the mind. And this is one of the things that's part of our school curriculum to teach a discipline of the mind. And then there are other things that could or in fact should be done. And so the child has, uh, some children have work time it's time to work now because I'm teaching a class over here, so this child over here should be working. And sometimes a child is articulate enough to say, raise your hand and say, what should I do? And there's some reading to do, there's some math to do, there's some memory to practice. There are these three things that ought to be done. The child has no clue, what should I do now? What, what should I do? Nobody has told me what to do. And I know there are several things I should do, but because I have three things to do, that shuts me down. Did you ever feel that you had more things to do than you had time to do? You ever felt that way? And 
did, were you ever, when you were faced with several important things to do, uh, ever uh, frustrated by which one to do first? And then for a little while you did nothing. Do you ever, all right, all right. That's what children sometimes face. And so they're not wanting to be unproductive, but they really don't know what to do first. You're going to have to teach them that this is common to man. When this happens to you, this is not strange. Don't think you're the first person in the world who ever felt this way. This is one of the things that we face. And we need to teach these skills. And so, all right, now, of course, if you're a very literal, uh, linear thinker, you could say, well, we have memory to do, we have some math to do, and we have some reading. And let's see, the schedule, well, the reading comes first before the math, so work at the reading first. Now, that's a very logical way to think, and most children don't think that way, but at least they can recognize, well, we can't multitask, we can't do both at once, and so pull something out and work on it. One thing that might be helpful would be to look at what your neighbor is doing. And if you see Susie pulled out her math and is working on it, oh, all right, all right, I have. Sometimes, sometimes copying other people can be helpful, in fact. And so teach some kind of methodical and study skills. Those of you who teach grades six, seven, and eight, and your students come in your room, and you might wonder, didn't anybody teach you study skills? The answer is, may very well be, no. Where, when do you teach study skills? Is that in English class? Is that math, science, history? Where is it? Well, it's, it's really in all of them, but probably none of them. And so if your children are not focusing and doing one thing at a time, probably, you know, how can I accept somebody and help me? Did you teach them? And did you notice that they don't have these skills? And if you notice, did you teach them? And then there are the, the, uh, the noises. There are many other noises in the classroom. And we have this, especially in the morning grade setting, we have this challenge. Any class should be so fascinating and so engaging that nobody could possibly be in that room and think about anything else other than what's happening in that class. Doesn't that sound ideal? Don't you want your classes to be so interesting that somebody else in the room would, oh, wow. Now, but then we have other children who are to be working. And so there, there needs to be a way that we can teach this group in a very engaging way. And yet these other children must learn to work without being distracted because, do you know what? That's going to be a big part of life. Life does involve needing to work on things when there are other distractions. When you're a carpenter or a bricklayer and you're up there on the scaffold laying bricks, your employer is not going to expect you to watch the traffic going past on the road, even though that's quite a lot more fascinating than laying bricks. And so this is a life skill to, now there are times that we, we may need to do something uh, by having a child sit in the corner of the room where there's a uh, screen up. In fact, some children will ask to do that. And notice uh, what kinds of things distract your students. And sometimes it's a wrong concept of what is to be done. The child really doesn't understand how he or she is to go about it. They could be approaching problems in the, in the wrong way. Notice, notice how they work. Notice how your students go about working. 
Uh, maybe they're uh, uh, approaching it in the wrong way. Maybe they're making it difficult for themselves, frustrating themselves. Maybe there are misunderstood expectations for some reason. They don't know how they're to do it. Uh, let them know. Another major one is, is clutter, disorganization. And uh, those of us who like structure and planning uh, have difficulty maybe uh, having patience with people who are flustered. But do you know what? Some of the most productive people, the inventors, do uh, thrive with uh, variety, disorganization. But there's clutter. And very often, I maintain that the clutter is, is throughout. If there's clutter in the desk, you can get a good idea of what the inside of a child's mind looks like by looking at the desk, looking in the desk. And if the books are just uh, jammed in there every which way, that's probably the way the faults are in the mind, too. They're, they're put in there in a variety of ways. And in the backpack, uh, in the mind, it's uh, the way some people function. They, we're finished with this now, so you maybe don't quite just drop it on the floor, but you, you just push. And so there is a, now there's a lot of paradox here because there are different ways of functioning. And some people, some of the most creative people, if they were forced to always put all the books in the desk with the tallest and then the next tallest and the next tallest, if they always organize things that way, they would organize things in their mind that way, and that's the way they would sit. And these thoughts would be carefully filed away in their minds, and never would the thoughts interact with each other, and uh, there'd be no creative thinking happening. So we want to be sure that we don't shut down, work against uh, a certain way of thinking. However, there is discipline needed for all of us, whether we're visual thinkers, verbal thinkers, there is still discipline needed, and all of us need to learn some discipline, and we need to note whether something is, is a crippling habit or whether it is, uh, if a child is functioning and is producing and, uh, and you insist that things be done just in the way that works best for you, well, you could be causing more problems than you're helping. And another is simply uh, poor study skills or inefficient procedures. The way they go about doing things is uh, unproductive. Some children are simply uh, slow, slow. There's, and because they are slow, why they must spend, for example, maybe too much energy, <clears throat> they spend 95% of their energy doing things that to us come automatically. And because they're spending all that energy, why just copying something off the board, off the overhead, they have no time to think about what is being talked about. And uh, whenever projectors came out, why they would tell you, now, while when you put something up and people are copying, why you don't talk about an important point then because they're copying it down. They won't be following. You wait until they copy it down, and then you uh, extrapolate on it. I remember some years ago in a class, I, uh, this was a child development class here some summers ago, and I remember that uh, moment very well. That particular class was all uh, young ladies, 
And uh, I did that. I threw something up, and they were all copying down. And then I was explaining something, and I said, excuse me, I just violated the rule here. I said, I, I uh, was talking while you were copying. And one of them said, that's OK. They said, women can, can do two things at once. Um, and so if you don't have fellows in your class, maybe you can, you can do that. But uh, many children find that very difficult. Now, we can do a little activity here. Let's, let's try this to see what it's like if you have to use most of your energy to think about what you're doing and don't have much left to think about the overall goal. So what we'll do is, uh, you know these little stories, the little change stories where you uh, make up a sentence. So I start a story, for example, I might say that, uh, that uh, I, I will go for a walk, all right? Uh, and then the next person has another sentence and continues the story. Who knows what I'm talking about? All right. So the only thing about this is that you cannot use any word that has the letter N in it. N as in nighttime, okay, or went. All right. So I will begin the story, and I'll ask, I'll point to some of you and you loudly call out the next sentence. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if the story is silly, serious, or whatever. But be sure you don't use a word that has a letter N in it. All right? I will go for a walk. All right? You. I've already read a letter too much. I wrote a letter to my sister. All right, next. Again. All right, after I trip happily through the woods. Okay, next. Mm -hmm. All right, now, I don't have time for more of this, but do you see what's happening? You all of a sudden sound like kindergartners. <laughs> first graders. I will go for a walk. And, and this story is going to be very simplistic. I mean, it's going to be a pathetic story. Because you don't have any energy, you don't have enough time or energy to have any story of substance. You're using, you're using all your processing ability to think about the word and think about internally what's in that word. And that's not really very purposeful, is it? Why would you, as you tell a story, what would be the functional purpose of thinking about the letters that are in the word other than for some kind of a puzzle or a game? Now, some children, as we, as we do, quote, normal schoolwork, whether it's copying something down, whether it's arranging things in a line, following directions, doing something in a certain way, they are using 90% or more of their, of their processing ability to understand procedures and follow the procedures and only have 10% left to actually engage with what it's really about. And uh, this shows up in a number of ways. So uh, a child, it might simply be that the child is slow. A slow child generally works and thinks the way the rest of us do, but it's slower. Whereas some children really have a 
disability in some area, and then oftentimes they have a correlating strength in another area. And so be alert to the amount of energy that a child might have to use to, uh, and let me give you one more example here. I'm going to give you five things to do, and uh, no, actually, I'll, I'll just do them one at a time. Now, on your handout, you have a, uh, can make sure. All right, on your handout, the, I'd like you to listen and, and I'm going to ask you to circle certain letters on your handout. And you do it, circle the letter, and when you're finished, you'll have a word. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> in the, these are all in the first section, under some reason children can't. So circle the fourth letter in the first word beside the number one. Now, circle the middle letter in the word beside 2A. Now circle the middle letter in the last word of 3A. Now circle the first letter beside the sixth word of 4A. And last of all, circle the first letter in the fourth word of 5A. And then write those five letters beside each other and uh, It'll be a very common word. What's the word? Why, why are you chuckling, uh, Carolyn? You got lost. Oh. Was this complicated? Too fast. It was too fast for you to process. Now, were you ever in a situation where things just happened too fast? Oh, now, the problem here was that it was too fast for all of you, but what really is frustrating is when 95% of the people just follow along as usual, and this, the 5% are completely, I mean, they're out there ahead. And you get this feeling that everybody else knows what's going on, and I don't. Now, I don't have time to do these little uh, games more, but you can get the idea there. If you really want to give somebody the experience of what a slow processor feels like, let the rest of the class all know what these are, and then when you're finished, ask, what's the word? The word, by the way, is teams, T-E-A-N-S. And, and so the rest just, well, there's the word. And these other children wonder, what? That's just too fast. And so sometimes things for some of the children are just simply too fast. And this is the experience they have every day. And they hate it because they go in there to school and Teachers give directions, people get out their papers and they start working, and this child isn't even sure what page, or he might know what page he's supposed to go to, but he's not on the page yet, and the rest of the people are proceeding. And so be alert to the, to the slow, and uh, you may need to move right back beside that child's desk and simply help them open to the page, uh, and uh, help them get that tablet turned straight, and put the pencil in his hand. Somehow you may need to, to help and train that child. Another issue with a slow child is sometimes there is simply too much work to do. And uh, as someone said the other day, equal is not fair in all cases. And so 
you need to understand and adjust accordingly. The child may need to have, to have less work and you may need to choose carefully which problems that child does. And in a case like that, everyone knows uh, in, in physical things when it comes to, uh, to some of the games on the playground, it's very obvious what some children can do and can't do. And in academic work, the same is true. Another whole area is the area of learning styles or disabilities where, and oftentimes, the problem is that the, the child has a strength in another area. And uh, let's try another one here. I have a, a simple sentence here for you to, to read. And uh, all right. Now, some of you have seen this kind of uh, puzzle before. What, what does that say? It's a simple sentence. It has something to do with a boy and a ball. Now, again, to do this properly, halfway, we should have the sentence and just read it off what it says. It says very simply, the little boy bounced the ball on the sidewalk. And uh, we should have somebody read that, and then the rest of you wonder what. Now, some children, when they look at things, they are very, as you probably uh, seen pointed out, this is a, uh, what is this thing, by the way? What is this? Can you tell? Say, somebody say it. It's a watch. Uh, what is it now? A watch now. It's still a watch, really. It doesn't matter which way I hold it. It's still a watch. That, children learn that before they come to school. But suddenly, and, they, and they're able, some children have a great ability to know what this would look like if it were in a different position. If things were, and some of us like that kind of puzzle and some don't, where you have a certain uh, a box with the flaps open in a certain way, and then you have four choices over here, and one of these choices over here is that box turned on its back, and the other three are not that box, but they look like boxes, and you're supposed to pick out which one of these four over here would be that one turned on its back. Who knows what I'm talking about? That kind of a, all right? Some people detest that kind of, of puzzle because uh, they're very methodical. They have to say, look, right, if you put it on its back, the flap would be this way. Some people can look at that and immediately know which one it is. Now, you need to just know that some children, when they look at letters on a page, the letters don't stand still. They move all over the place. And whether or not that, le that letter is upside down or backwards or forwards doesn't matter. And so on here, we have a T. Uh, this is an H. You, prob you probably need to see an H written with the tail with the stem on the left side and the hump over here in order to recognize it as an H. But this person looks at this thing and it moves around. And now you call that a Y, but it's actually an H. You see, this child just sees it upside down. And also, we pay attention to the spaces between words. We think they're significant. But some children don't think spaces are significant and they, they move around. And so here we have T-H-E. And uh, we tend to think that having things in a line are significant, but children sometimes uh, look at things and as they move around, uh, the words don't necessarily stay on the line. So we have T-H-E, and then we have an L-I-T-T, -T, uh, L-E, and then this is a 
see this thing here uh, can either be a P, can be a Q, can be a D, or can be a B. But a watch is a watch no matter how you hold it. But all of a sudden you need to learn that when you look at letters, it matters. And so we're saying this is a watch, this is a, this is a, uh, a wallet, <laughs> now it's a dog, and now it's a um, cloud. All right, ready? What's this? Watch. I forget myself when I said that. <laughs> and not only are you supposed to remember that, you're supposed to recognize it just like that. And so you have to completely get out of your head, B, B, Q, get them out, and read this uh, in a certain way. And so little boy, B-O-Y, uh, bounced. This is B-O-U. See, U's and N's can turn upside down. N, C, E, D, bounce, D, A, E, the, ball, B, A, L, L, um, on, O, N, T, H, E, side, S, I, D, E, W, A, L, K. Little boy bounced the ball on the sidewalk. Now, if the letters stand still like we think they're supposed to and the spaces are there in their lines, we just read that off like that. But if you look at this and these things are floating around, you have no clue what that's saying. And this is a big subject in itself, but all I can do here is point out, you need to be aware that children can, can actually look at something and not see it. And uh, the letter F, it's fun uh, to, to write sentences with a lot of Fs in them and include the word of and include words like half or in, where an F is in the middle of a word, and then have somebody count the Fs in that sentence. And it's amazing how often you need to count until you get all the Fs. Because when, when we read a sentence, uh, we don't look at the letters. And when you see the word like of, you don't think of the F being there because it doesn't sound like an F. And so, I point that out simply to say, for those of us who are, quote, normal readers, uh, we don't think about these issues. But an awareness of some of these issues that, that, that become, many times, children's strengths become a disability in the environment in which we set up for them to learn. And I'm not saying that we should completely change our learning environment uh, because verbal skills are important, but we need to be aware of the nature of some children's frustrations in, in school. And so, there are, there are perception difficulties. Actually, seeing, when you perceive something, you, uh, you see it. Let me read you something here. This is, uh, if you get, get your hands on the, the July 2013 issue of the Christian School Builder put out by Rod and Stapp, I just came across this by chance here this summer, a very fascinating article called The Dyslexic Minority. And this uh, author, he writes and he says, I'll just jump in the middle here, he says, because repetition does not light up my bulb of comprehension, shall, that, shall I then be put in the class of slow learners? When an especially inspiring thought sends me on a tangent of increasingly inspirational thoughts gleaned from many sources, am I then spaced out? 
And is it accurate to say that I have no thoughts? Because a page of story problems in math is more interesting and user-friendly to me than a page covered with numbers to compute, am I then deficient in math? Personally, I like the term dyslexic better than ADD. Dyslexic contains the root lex, which means word. The definition of dyslexic could be stated simply as dysfunctional with words. Most persons labeled ADD are dyslexic. A person does not have dyslexia as though it were some kind of disease. He either is or is not. Dyslexia is a brain type, a pattern of thinking, and a way of learning that is quite different from that of a non-dyslexic. And one is a visual thinker, and one is more of a verbal thinker. Now, here's another little uh, illustration, and you may have seen this. If you want to uh, find this, you can easily find this on the web. But uh, I'm going to show you a picture of an animal here. And uh, as soon as you recognize uh, what animal it is, uh, raise your hand. All right. Hold your hand high. Good. All right. Thank you. There's another one. Now look harder. Look, look harder. Come on, try. Look. Now again, uh, this is not a session on this type of thing. What I really should have done was had 90% of you know what it is and, uh, and the other 10 not because you're having the comfor comfortable feeling now that most of the people didn't raise their hand. But the uncomfortable feeling is, is when everybody sees it and you don't. Now, uh, okay, I saw a hand go up. What did you see? A cow or a calf, sure. It's a cow or a calf looking right at you. And what part of the, where did you see this? In the middle, top left, bottom right? Bottom on the right side, mm hmm Yes. It's a calf looking at you, or maybe a heifer, on the bottom right. Who sees it? Anybody? All right, now that you know what to look for, some of you, get, some of you still aren't getting it. All right, well, uh, if we were in school, maybe we'd go on to the next page now. Now, let me give you, <laughs> let me help you a little bit and uh, see if this helps any. Now, a few of you might, more of you might be able to pick it out. Uh, there are the eyes and the nose. The nostrils are right down here. Here's the ear. Here's kind of the neck down in here. Here's where the one eye is and here's where the other one is. Uh, anybody get it now? You get it? All right. Some of you still might not. That's okay. Uh, now, once you, once you see this, once you really see it, you can't unsee it. Hardly. It's, I mean, it's there, and it's just, you look at it, and it's right there. Yeah, kind of a calm-looking uh, heifer uh, looking at you there. All right, Who, who's still flustered? All right, you're not quite sure. Don't be afraid to put your hands up. You're not quite sure you see this. Well, now, for those of us who are very verbal, this is a painful experience, and we'd rather not be in a room with, if, if every, if your whole lesson was like this, if the next thing, another ink blot, these are like ink blot tests, and this is not a happy experience in the verbal world to have to navigate this kind of thing. It hurts. It's, 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 it doesn't feel good. You can't get a hold of it with, with words. 
What do you want to say? <laughs> okay, you're feeling frustrated? You can see it now? <laughs> you didn't pick it out, you just looked at it, it was right there in front of you the whole time. It was right there in front of you. And, uh, and now, some children are excellent at this, that's their gift, and they can, they can see things. Uh, do, you, do you look at the sky and, and see uh, faces in the clouds? Uh, do you ever see the side of a tree in the dusk and it looks like a, a beast or an angry man, the outline of a tree? Well, that's only uh, a weak illustration. But what the problem here is perceiving. And you see, if, if you need to perceive, in order to make, in order to even see what we're talking about, so the teacher says, you know, don't you see? All right, so we talk about uh, compassion. Now, rep telling a child, just look, you know, look harder. Does that help? Does that really help? And, I mean, uh, repetition would help. So let's, let's, uh, let's uh, do, it, uh, do it again. Where did I put this thing? So just simply putting it up, uh, putting it up again. And then again. And then again. Does that help? Actually, it heightens the frustration, doesn't it? And so sometimes, and if you don't get it, you don't get it. And uh, putting on the pressure actually tends to freeze you up and make you feel uh, either you, and see how you, you're, you're a mature adult, so you can cope by maybe laughing. But if you were younger, you'd be more likely to tear papers or pound the desk or punch somebody beside you. And there's various other kinds of coping uh, procedures when you feel frustrated other than uh, laughing. Well, another one is, uh, is simply processing difficulties. Now, I illustrate this in a way <clears throat> with having you follow directions. And uh, when you are to follow directions, and the directions I gave you were really fairly straightforward. I mean, the fourth letter in the first word beside number one, what could be more direct than that? But because you actually had to process that, you had to find the number one, you had to find the fourth letter, uh, first of all, in, a, in the first word beside the number one, you actually had to, there was a procedure there that you had to do. Even though the work was elementary, there was a procedure to follow. And so some children had difficulty doing, actually doing it. I talked about it with speed, but some children actually have difficulty with the processing itself. And then, some are visual thinkers in a verbal environment. And some are hands-on learners in a conceptual environment. And so some children, if they cannot picture something, they cannot uh, grasp it. Uh, we did a little activity uh, this last year. I had my, uh, it's an excellent activity to do. In fact, you show children calendar pictures, landscapes, people, whatever, and you have the right captions for the, for the picture, or maybe a little poem. What do you see in this picture? Do you see compassion? Do you see, what do you see? And uh, one of my recall, uh, you remember the uh, piece of art called American Gothic, it shows a man and a woman uh, with a pitchfork holding between, who knows what I'm talking about, all right? So what do you see there? Well, uh, one person wrote, don't come any closer. 
somebody else wrote um, the right to bear a pitchfork. And uh, somebody else wrote something like this, uh, see our house and barn, all produced with the labor of our own hands. Now, those of us who are verbal thinkers can need to be challenged to look at whether it's works of art or photographs and say, what do you see here? Can you use, or is there, is there compassion in action here? Is there uh, mockery? What, what do you see here? The flip side is that the, the visual thinkers, when we talk about things like uh, anger or working hard or whatever, they cannot think about it unless they can picture something. They have to come up with a picture and be able to picture something. Well, there are physical problems like chronic tiredness, and there are some children who simply don't get enough sleep. And uh, Monday morning is usually your most productive time, right, in the classroom? Wrong? Is it one of the least productive? Why so? Well, many times children simply don't get enough rest the night before or at the weekend. Getting enough rest and also, nutrition, that's a subject in itself, but those are some of the possibilities. Let's move on to the backside. Some reasons children won't. This has to do more with the, uh, with the will than it does with the ability. Uh, so first of all, sometimes they simply can't. So of course, if you can't, you won't. Uh, I'll dispense with that by just saying that. Maybe the reason is listed on the other side of the paper. Sometimes school is not considered important by either the home or the community culture. School is something that you need to do, you need to go there, spend some time there, but, and children pick up this attitude. Dad says, well, you need to go to school for a certain number of years. And he doesn't need to say much, they soon pick up that attitude. Now what do you do about this? Well, for one thing, you need to respect the community. You don't ever let on that the community really ought to value education more and they don't, and these people here just don't know how important education is. But you be a teacher, you respect, uh, it is true that there are all kinds of problems associated with, ed with education, and we understand that, but that's one of the paradoxes, uh, ignorance, is there's no excuse for ignorance and unlearned people in a time when we have opportunity to learn to read. And so simply be a person who models what you expect children to be, that is you be a learner, be interested in the world, be interested in the community, and do that in such a way that you don't let on that what you're working at here in school is more important than what's being done in the local community. It's possible for children and parents to respect a teacher who enjoys reading and uh, does quality reading aloud to the children and expect them to do their best and develop good work habits. It's possible to both respect the community and be an example before the children without feeling any need to change the community culture. Now related to that somewhat is maybe it's not the thing to do according to the peers. Maybe it's peer pressure. Maybe it's not cool to write neatly 
or to pass things in on time. Maybe it's a habit that the whole class has. Uh, maybe you're a wimp for, uh, or a namby-pamby for passing things in on time. In that case, you do, this is still a culture issue, but you have more direct control over this because it's probably not something that the parents would approve of either. And in this case, you can, if there is a problem, you can name the problem and talk about it. And just like it's sometimes children have problems complaining on the playground about the game, and you can point out that actually our problem is not this game at all. The problem is that we are complainers. And today we're complaining about the game that was picked. Tomorrow we'll complain also because we have a habit of complaining. But tomorrow, and you can even try to make a joke out of it. What do you think you might complain about tomorrow? What are some things we could complain about? Well, maybe it'll be that it's a little bit too chilly and we'd rather play inside. Or maybe it's that the teacher says play inside and actually it stopped raining, so we'd rather play outside. And you can almost make a little bit of a, of a, have some fun with this by having them imaginatively talk about what might we complain about? Let's see what kind of a list we can come up with. And then recognize how silly this is and how foolish this is to be complainers. And, and then when it happens and somebody complains about somebody, um, we played that last Thursday, you say, oh, is that what it is today that we're going to complain about? And kind of remind them that this is a symptom of a problem we're trying to, to uh, get past. Now, you can bring that same kind of uh, thing into the classroom here if, if the group has a habit of not wanting to speak up or not wanting to pass things in on time or uh, being, always being a minute late uh, for coming in for recess. And point out that this is, uh, this is a problem, and we can, we can improve this. And everybody has issues to work on, and what's ours? Moving on to teacher relationship problems. Sometimes children don't function well, or won't, excuse me, don't, yes, won't function well for you as a teacher because of some relationship issue. They might actually know how and might actually want to work, but because in some way they might feel that, uh, well, the first one here, one of the most important tasks for you as a teacher is to care about the lesson or the subject. Now, all of us as teachers probably find certain subjects or certain lessons that, that light or fire more than others. And there's some lessons we need to teach that actually put the fire out. And so in your case, it might be penmanship class. And you think, oh, penmanship class again. I have to teach them how to write cursive. I'm not even sure they should write cursive, but here we go. And so you, now, boys and girls, here's how you make an H. And so you, and you know what? They're gonna pick up from you that this is really something we kind of have to do. But if the teacher doesn't think that the lesson is important, why would they? Why would they? And so you have to somehow care and find significance in what you're teaching. And you can't do it like an auctioneer. Just say, all right, now it's time for penmanship class. So this is an exciting class and uh, it's important. So here we go. Uh, they will recognize whether this is just hype or whether it's, it's real. And you don't have to, don't try to cover it up by being dramatic and acting like, you know, kind of dancing around. They can see right through that too. Passion sometimes shows up in, in being very focused, very purposed 
very purposeful, maybe very calm about the way you approach the lesson. And so I just leave that with you. Sometimes the biggest challenge is as you look at tomorrow's lesson and this, or this next unit, say, oh, here we go again. We have to study plants and leaves, and I just, not this unit again. So your biggest challenge is in your own heart to say, Lord, how as we walk through this lesson, I, when we get back there to studying the physiology and the way the digestive system works, I, I can, I'm looking forward to that. But we have to go through leaves first, this leaf collection program. So your biggest challenge then is to decide how you can teach that in a way that you can care. Another one is that if you in any way give the feeling that this work is easy when it really isn't, you never use the word never, almost never use the word never, but it's almost never appropriate to tell students that the work is easy. You lose in both cases. If it is easy, why do it? It would just be repetition and probably useless uh, material. And if you say it's easy and it isn't, either the child either thinks he's stupid or else he thinks you misunderstood him. It's much better to point out this is a, going to be a challenge for us. And things are difficult in numerous ways. Sometimes things are difficult because they're hard to understand. Sometimes they're difficult because it requires self-discipline. In math, for example, if 90% if of the lesson is review material and the children know how to do it and only 10% is a new material and it's a challenge, you can tell them, do you know what? This lesson is going to be a challenge and guess what the challenge is? Guess what's going to be hard about it and talk about it a bit? Not every day. The challenge is going to be that when you see many of these problems today, you're going to think, I know how to do that. And so why will that be hard for you? Well, you tell me. Why might that be hard for you to get an A in today's math lesson if you already know how to do most of the problems? Somebody's smiling back there. All right. Correct. Right. And it's, it's easy to do, and so I'll make, uh, you'll end up making careless errors, and all of us do that. And so the challenge in this lesson is not in knowing how to do it. The challenge is in being accurate and checking over your work and making sure you get it correct. And so that's hard. It's hard to discipline yourself to be accurate. And let them know that life brings many kinds of challenges and it's not easy and life isn't easy. We're here to work together. And then any kind of harshness or impropriety, if you have put your students down, mocked them, uh, whatever, sometimes you need to be sensitive and ask the Holy Spirit to let you know what it is that you might have done that, that offended a student and basically shut them down. And you, and you, you can spend your, all your energy trying to help them understand the lesson, 
trying to make it more simple, to adjust the assignment, when the whole problem is that there's something you're going to have to ask the child to forgive you for. And the child might not tell you. You may need to perceive that. So be alert to that. If Now, sometimes teachers are oversensitive the other way, and we feel responsible for, for the child's uh, unproductivity, and we're always feeling, what did I do uh, to you? But the, occasionally, this is, in fact, a problem. And then there's the one where, well, we can't do it all anyway. We can't do it perfectly, and so guess what? We don't do any of it. Uh, can anybody understand that feeling? All right, we, uh, <laughs> we couldn't get it finished anyway, and it won't be good enough anyway, so we don't do anything. And in that case, we're going to have to, it does help to name the problem, uh, tell the child, especially if you recognize this feeling, and let them know that sometimes you feel that way too. But it's better to do three-fourths of an impossible task, what seems impossible, than none of it. So don't let that paralyze you. Many of these things on this list are training things. They have to do with the will and work habits. And this is an important task for the teacher to train this. So sometimes having a child recognize why he or she is just sitting there is a big part of the uh, battle. And you might, uh, if you see a child sitting there, and you might, uh, especially if you talked about it before, you get this little twinkle in your eye and say, does it seem like you're not going to be able to do all this? Well, do, do some of it. And sometimes a child doesn't want to outshine a classmate or make others feel bad. And so they purposefully get some wrong or purposefully hold back purposefully mumble because they don't want to make others feel bad. Now, especially be alert to the culture that you're in. I just read an article recently uh, having to do with uh, Native American students. And in some cultures, you do not stick out. And so if you go in there and you say, do your best, do your best, and you think very individually, and you say, God gave you talents, and so you need to develop your own talent, but they've been trained to think as a group. And they soon notice that if they, if they perform in a certain way and the other ones don't, you may be working against the uh, community norms. And that's something different than not valuing education. That's a whole subject in itself. But just think about uh, the reasons perhaps why a child is or is not doing things in a certain way relative to the other ones. Uh, this child could do all this memory work very well and be done in a week, takes the other children three weeks, but you know he could, but he waits till everybody else is ready because he doesn't want to be seen as, uh, he doesn't want to stick out. And then some people don't wait until they're adults to have this. There are other interests that are more pressing. I'd rather read a real book than do this lesson. I have a library book to pull out. And so we, we, we sit and put the library book away. Uh, put, that, put that interesting book away and do something boring. <laughs> they think that's what we're saying to them anyway. And as adults, 
you know the feeling, and you say yourself, when a person gets mature enough, well, there are other things uh, to do. And so uh, this may be the way they are, uh, are functioning. And sometimes a child literally has a problem with being told what to do. You know, I'd do it if, if you wouldn't tell me to do it. I, I would do it but because you told me to do it. And again, if this is the issue, you need to recognize it and just bring it out. And point out to them, you know, the angels are told what to do, and they find joy in doing what they're told to do. And so did Jesus. Jesus did what the Father told him to do. And uh, there's a blessing. And we don't tell you to do these things just because we want to give orders or to be arbitrary, but there is, uh, there's purpose. Occasionally, a child has, actually has too little work. And if you cut back too much on the work, you can find that they even don't do that. Sometimes they don't take the work seriously enough. I remember one girl, she was an only child in the family, and first grade, she just didn't do what she was asked to do. Just didn't, as soon as the classwork stopped and the teacher did something for grade two, she basically sat there and daydreamed and did other things. And we discerned that she really didn't, this didn't get through her head that, you know, you really are supposed to do this. You're expected to do this. And when the teacher says, draw these lines to connect these shapes, yes, you are to do it. And she didn't, it wasn't that she was disobeying. She just didn't have, this was not in her consciousness that when you're given a task to do, you actually are expected to do it. So be alert to situations that could be like that. And I actually had a student tell me one time, uh, we had this, uh, this was uh, an older student, there just wasn't enough penalty. And if you're too easy and allow them to pass the work in late and just adjust the score a little bit, well, why would they do it? I can wait till next week, I can wait till the next month, and even at the end of the year, if I can make something up from the last quarter, why would I do it? And, he, and in a sense, he said, well, you know, if, if you really wouldn't pass, why then, then he would get to it. It's like, uh, you know, well, if you'd use the switch a little bit, maybe I would perform. And sometimes the work doesn't seem to be meaningful or value or important. Sometimes it just seems to be busy work to them. We have to make sure that it isn't just busy work. And make sure that there is something for them to get their heart and their mind involved in, to really care about and think about. And so if we're doing uh, reading comprehension skills, are we really developing skills? And is there purpose? If there, there's a time for repetition, but make sure the repetition is purposeful and not just for the sake of having something to do. And finishing up here, sometimes a child is just simply lazy and needs to be trained. He just doesn't feel like it. And he might be carrying with him patterns learned at home and needs to be trained to develop school habits. And these people need training. So 
This gives you a list when your child is not performing this year, look over this list, maybe one of them will match. And this is not exhaustive, but there is a whole variety of reasons. And if you assume it's this reason and it's that one, now you can end up developing a relationship problem where the child goes, you don't understand me, now you have another reason. So may the Lord give us grace to be uh, understanding but uh, firm. Thank you. You're dismissed. If you want to look at these books, I'll leave them lying up here on the counter for uh, the rest of the morning. For more free resources that support teaching and learning, visit the docforlearning.org.